It's episode 57 of the Presentable Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Bean. Today on the program is Andy Lewandowski, product strategist and UX designer at the United States Digital Service. We're going to discuss the redesign of the Veterans Administration website, how agile work can happen inside bureaucracy, and what it takes to do transformative design within the government. Andy, thanks for being on the program. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Really appreciate it. All right. Let me get one thing out of the way right up front. Holy <laughs> your boss is Donald Trump. That- <laughs> did, did you, wow, did you just launch right into right it? In, I'm sorry. I get, we got to get this off the table first. Did you ever in a million years imagine that would be a thing? Uh, I, I did not. And I also never imagined in a million years that I would be working as part of the executive branch. That's right. Um, but here I am. <laughs> um, have you met the president? Um, I have seen him from afar. I have not personally met the president. Okay. All right. Uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, but yeah, no, this is, it is, it is literally, uh, part of the executive branch. I, um, we had on the program, ah, it's like two years ago now, uh, Dana Chisnell. I don't know if you know her or not, but she has, That's right, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She has, uh, she's done a lot of work around usability and, and functionality of voting systems. And, um, and she told me the story of how the USGS got started uh, uh, as um, as really kind of coming right out of the office of the president, President Obama at the time, um, from the sort of the fiasco around trying to launch the healthcare.gov, right? Isn't that where it came from? That's right. That's right. So if you recall, um, the launch of healthcare.gov did not go as smoothly as I think the Obama administration had hoped it would. <laughs> yeah, um, there are a lot of reasons why, you know, um, tech infrastructure in the government tends to be outdated by default. Uh, federal contracting is extremely complicated in the United States government. So that's actually procuring uh, technology and the resources to actually design and build it. Um, and then there's just the aggressive timeline and implementation of policy, translating the Affordable Care Act into an actual solution right. uh, for this massive, massive healthcare system in the country. So that administration, I think, learned very quickly that they needed to hire experts um, specifically experts from design and technology backgrounds to come into the government and kind of rethink and help the government get up to speed with private sector standards. Yep. And that's from that work, we were born and we continue to do great work today. We have always been nonpartisan. Um, and so that work continues even under this new administration. Mm-hmm. Um, the way I understand it, it's kind of, it's not, it's not outrageous to to think back then with the Obama administration doing healthcare.gov that they would have said, okay, we need this website, this web app that takes this policy into essentially an interactive service. And then, you know, a bunch of guys would come in and say, yeah, we got this IBM mainframe. It'll take us two years and it'll cost you $150 million. Right. Like that was literally like how government contracting around technology was even five years ago. That's right. And even today, we're still trying to leave that old world behind and become more agile. Right. And um, even creating contracts that are shorter term so that contractors are incentivized to demonstrate that they can do the work and do it um, quickly and iteratively. Um, we don't have to be married to a single contractor for two or three or even five years. You know, the government should be able to um to to move on if the if the contractors are not performing I guess the basic kind of um, duties of of the work prescribed I will say the fundamental I think um, challenge in government is that these policies and regulations and kind of top down initiatives from the legislative branch the U.S. Congress and 
and the executive branch, the U.S. president, um, they tend to incentivize agencies to protect their own interests, right? So (laughs) the agencies have to interpret these policies and these um, executive orders within the boundaries of the law. And then they have to figure out how they're going to stand up their program management offices to execute on these um, uh, executive orders and and legislation. And so they take a very program management first mindset versus a user first or product first mindset. And so the digital service is coming in and we're trying to just shift it. We're trying to invert it. We're trying to say, what if you think about your customers, your end users first and have their needs and wants drive how we then implement this on the program side. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah, been yeah. very successful for us. Yeah. I, you know, it's very easy to probably poke fun of the bureaucracy of the government, how slow things move and then all of that. But it doesn't sound that much different from, I think, a lot of people's experience working in larger organizations where, I mean, everything you were just managing around siloed teams and frankly, your stakeholders maybe being a little out of touch with technology and all of that kind of stuff. I think many listeners of the program d- deal with that day to day just at, you know, a 500 person company let alone, a, you know, hundreds of thousands of people in the government. But. That's exactly right. Bureaucracy is bureaucracy. It's yeah. not exclusive yeah. to the public sector or to government. I will say in my experience um, in the nonprofit and private sectors, you know, in the private sector, uh, a lot of the work is very market driven. And so there are real consequences if you don't deliver a product to your users on time or if you are not updating your infrastructure, for example, moving um, data systems into the cloud. And in the government, a lot of those um, market forces are just missing. And so there are deadlines set by legislation, but a lot of those deadlines are a little bit loose. Um, and so it's just a different operating environment. You know, what, what's the incentive to be customer facing user first in the government uh, versus the private sector? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess uh, a little bit different consequences if there's not product market fit. Is, is yeah. what you're saying. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about how you got there. You say you have some experience in the in the private sector and then and then decided to go over to the USDS. That's right. Yeah. So um, I started my career in higher education. Uh, that was the nonprofit reference. And that's where I landed into uh, user experience research and design and product management. Higher education is an industry uh, that is um rapidly changing and innovating, delivering content and courses in Uh new novel ways. Um, And from there, I became a consultant. And so I worked for a consulting firm where I had a handful of private sector and public sector clients. And I started with private sector clients um, working in hospitality and a a few other uh, related industries. And then I landed at my first public sector client, which was the Office of Personnel Management, which is essentially the federal government's human resources department. And I worked on the redesign of usajobs.gov and I just got hooked on kind of the civic, this, this nascent at the time, civic tech space and designing products for government. It was just so different than designing products for consumers in the private sector. What'd you like about it? Well, on a, 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 on a basic level, I liked how mission-driven it was and how mm. meaningful it was. Sure. I think a little bit of it is also generational as a, as a millennial. Um, you know, our generation grew up thinking the world was going to be a certain way. And when we became adults, I think we became a, a bit disillusioned with the world that was the reality. And so learning that I could be a part of kind of reinventing and rebuilding the government in the way that I always thought it should have been from the beginning was kind of intoxicating. Oh, I realized great. I could be a part of that. That's really good to hear. 
I'm old and cynical now, so uh, I really appreciate, <laughs> really appreciate your perspective. I'm trying to not get old and cynical, so let me know if you have any tips. <laughs> yeah, I'll see what we can do. Um, all right, well, so tell me now a little bit about this project. Uh, I, in fact, I, I remember uh, Dana mentioning it to me a couple years ago, this idea of transformative work for the the online experience for the the veterans of our of the United States, right? So the Veterans Administration uh, had some issues with how thing how services were being provided digitally, didn't they? That's right. And I'm going to start by just kind of setting context for Veterans Affairs because I think the the breadth and scope of what the VA does and offers is pretty astounding. So VA is the second largest federal agency in the government, wow. second in size to the Defense Department. It has 370,000 employees. Wow. It has the nation's largest healthcare system with 9 million uh, enrolled patients. Um, and it serves um, a population of 20 million living veterans, about half of those veterans are actively in the system on an annual basis. So this is a massive, massive organization. And not only do they run the largest healthcare system in the country, but they also offer these amazing benefits like backing home loans for veterans, the GI Bill tuition reimbursement for getting a college education, um, disability compensation if you have any service era related health conditions. It's truly, truly remarkable. Huh. So it's kind of like online banking and car insurance and healthcare all in one place and <laughs> one organization. And so think of all of those services that that those private sector industries deliver. VA does all of that under under one roof. So it's pretty astounding what yeah. their mandate is. Um, okay, so the project that that I was a part of is called uh, Web Brand Consolidation. So VA has about five top level web brands, and the reason that these web brands were built are um, they were they became a reflection of the organization. So VA is actually three departments under one roof. So there's healthcare, and there's benefits, and there's cemeteries, and so everyone has their own pot of money and their own mandate and their own resources, and they go build the thing for veterans. Over the last five years or so, veterans kept telling the VA, we think of VA as one institution, one entity. Why do you make us go to all these different websites with different login credentials to access our benefits mm -hmm. and healthcare? And so what was born out of that was this project called Web Brand Consolidation, where we would take all of VA's disparate web brands and including their disparate tech stacks and create a unified user experience on VA.gov. And that's what we launched uh, a few months ago in November. Veterans Day 2018 is the new VA.gov. You you launched it on Veterans Day. You like you you hit the deadline. That's amazing. Well, to, uh, <laughs> we actually launched it the week before, and it was a flawless execution. And that we actually launched it with 24-hour engineering and tech support using. Um, an adapted playbook from the relaunch of healthcare.gov. Mm. So this is the federal government learning from its past mistakes right. and getting better and getting better as, as each of the big public launches happen. So that's, that's great. Um, it was ready to go by veterans day. All yeah. right. Well, let me back you up a little bit. Cause you started by saying the veterans administration heard from veterans that like they were annoyed by this and there's too many sign-ons and stuff like that. What was their ability to kind of, uh, hear from their users before you got started? Like, how did you have this assumption that, that things were unsatisfying as they were? You know, it's a collection of siloed research. So VA has a human factors office. VA has a health informatics office. VA has program offices for the GI Bill. And so anytime the VA is mandated to do something or update the way that they are servicing uh, benefits, 
they would conduct their own research in isolation, right? You, 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 you sit down and interview your users or sit down and look at data in isolation for a specific benefit or product. When the digital service came around four years ago, we started this website called Vets.gov. And it really started as a proof of concept that said, we can work in a new cross enterprise way and get all of benefits and healthcare and cemeteries content and tools under one roof and it's going to work better for veterans. So really, the Vetsuck.gov project was the engine for the VA adopting really modern, agile development practices and human-centered design mm. as a regular and ongoing operating principle for the digital experience. So we've been doing that for about four years. And it took three years of Vets.gov before the agency was comfortable enough to say, okay, let's go bigger and let's redesign VA.gov. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's a long, uh, a, a long period of building trust is what it sounds like. That's exactly right. And like you mentioned, this is, this is no different than the private sector. You have to tell the right story. You have to bring people along for the journey. You have to work in a collaborative way. We started with one working group that was a cross enterprise working group of about 13 um, career civil servants. And we met every other week throughout 2018. And then in the few months before the website relaunched, we met weekly and it was a new and novel way of working at VAs, talking to each other and compromising with each other. And then also going back to our home teams and our home agencies and reporting up and down the chain. And that model has worked so well that we've now created three additional working groups for the next phase of work in 2019. So mm-hmm. it's VA. And, and so I keep saying this to, to my colleagues, we've shifted the burden from the user having to figure everything out to the business having to figure everything out, which I know is probably like a duh statement for those who work in the private sector. Like, of course, everything should be customer focused and market driven. But in the government, it's just not the case. And so it's a new way for VA to work. You know, I, you, you say that uh, uh, it should be obvious in the private sector. Um, but I think, uh, I think this stuff is just really incredibly difficult to execute on. And I think you could ask like any CEO of any Fortune 500 company, are you customer centered? And they'd all say yes. And you'd ask them how and you'd get 500 different answers. Um, and all of them probably kind of lip service to actually using the kind of user experience process, uh, you know, ethnography and, um, uh, and, and that sort of like deep research and understanding and, and needs analysis. That that it's the kind of stuff that we talk about that truly is transformative, you know. Yeah. So yeah, I uh, I got a bunch more questions for you, but I got to take a little break here first. Um, Andy, do you uh, do you write code? You ever you ever write new code? Front front end code because oh, I'm a pixel picture. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. It's a couple of pixels. I, I can't help myself. I got to go in. Yeah, yeah. Good, good. <laughs> uh, we got I got a new sponsor uh, this week called onemonth.com. They're new to the show. I'm thrilled to have them here. Uh, and it is, a, it is a, a, a service that helps you learn how to write code uh, and in just one month. So, awesome. acor- yeah, no, I think so too. According to them, 50% of the best paying jobs now require the ability to code. Uh, and onemonth.code is kind of the, the best way to learn how to do that very quickly in just one month. Their courses have helped 60,000 students going from knowing zero about coding to building programs and languages like Python, Ruby, and JavaScript. Uh, OneMonth.com graduates have gone on to get jobs at prestigious startups like Airbnb, Instagram, and Spotify. Uh, Their courses are easy to follow, step-by-step tutorials, instructor-led, 
So you're not just, it's not just like you're watching YouTube videos all day. You have instructors with weekly assignments that review your work. Uh, and it's very results driven. Each student graduating the course with a portfolio of projects to show their prospective employers. Uh, awesome. and you get, and you get a certificate of completion. I know. Uh, so if anyone out there is interested in taking their career to the next level, uh, for a limited time, you can go to one month.com slash presentable, get 10% off any coding course. That's one month.com, O N E M O N T H.com slash presentable for 10% off any coding course. Thanks to one month.com for their support of presentable and all of relay FM. There you go. One month. You could be writing even more code. Andy. All right. I got to say the best designers in my career are the ones who know how to code or at least understand code. Oh my and gosh. I, you're going to open that can of worms. In my, uh, Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I totally agree. I think there, you know, there is a, uh, there are, the, the more crossover there is. And uh, frankly, for, for, uh, front end design developers, you know, the, the deep JavaScript react and all of that, the, for those folks, the more they know about design, the better they are. So, you know, right. Right. it's a Venn diagram and the more overlap, the better. Let's see here. I have a bunch of questions about what you guys were doing. Um, the first thing that kind of pops to mind is that if you are really doing kind of user-centered, research-driven design work to do this kind of transformation, you got to be like to- – you must have been totally constrained by – like just asking the, the VA like, hey, can you give us a bunch of users? And, you know, like there, there must be in a governmental context and all the sort of HIPAA and privacy and all of that stuff. What was that like? Oh, it's hard. <laughs> we, the digital service is a scrappy bunch. And so we do what it takes to get the work done. But yeah, so in 2018, just for the relaunch of VA.gov, we hit 1,700 veterans and family members, which is pretty remarkable. And that's through a variety of research. So We did some email blasts to do some tree tests and digital card sorts. Um, But we also did a handful of structured and unstructured interviews to really kick off the work. And for that, you know, the government does have some unique constraints. One of those constraints is called uh, PRA, which stands for the Paperwork Reduction Act. And so um, Congress in 1985, I believe, and then again in maybe 1995 or 96, uh, put the PRA together and updated it. It basically said, like, uh, the government needs to reduce the burden on collecting information from the American public. Mm. And that actually does apply to user research and huh. things like surveys, even intercept surveys like 4C all have to go through this PRA approval process um, at individual agencies. So I was lucky when I joined the project a year ago, the digital service team had already um, put in place our PRA standards. And so basically we work with the privacy officers at uh, VA and some um, attorneys, and we review the different modes of research that we can conduct, and then we put together this, you know, Veterans Affairs user research waiver, and users get to opt in to everything from voice recording and video recording um, to um, notes transcribing. Um, so that's hard. The the second thing that's really hard is recruiting, and we don't in the government tend to pay users um, for right. the 
time in ways that the private sector maybe um, does. And so finding veterans um, and users to actually do research with can be challenging. One of the great things about veterans as a user population is they're a really tight bunch and they have a lot, a lot of affinity groups Mm. that are either local organizations or like Facebook groups, you know, and I'm talking like really specific, like serving in Iraq during 2008 and 2009, right? Because they have this um, this bond uh, from during their time in service and, and as a veteran. And so tapping into those groups um, has also been a really um, good way to get veterans to participate in research. But of course, you can't just drop in, right? You have to like build relationships and form trusts um, so that it doesn't feel that you're exploiting them, so to speak. But in general, veterans have been one of the most agreeable user populations that I've um, done research with because they're just so committed to making the veteran experience better for mm-hmm. all veterans. You know, it's, it's pretty, pretty great. And so did you do just the whole range of user research sort of things, you know, out there, like in the field and meeting people where they were? Or were you in hospitals? Like, what was it like? Yeah, we, we traveled across the country. So one of the things that we did this year, we had a, a heavy focus again on the on the business side, the enterprise collaboration. So we actually kicked off our our work this year, or excuse me, last year in 2018 by conducting design studios with our stakeholders, so that we could understand their mental models for VA benefits and where they see the biggest problems. And I think that helped us uh, equip us. That helped to equip us to refine our research questions for veterans. And then what we did is we traveled regionally in the Washington, D.C. metro area, so uh, Maryland and Virginia and D.C., to VA medical centers and veteran benefit centers to conduct interviews. And then we also traveled um, maybe three or four times um, to different areas in the country to capture non-urban veterans, essentially. So we went into suburban environments and also rural environments because the veteran needs um, can be different based on where you live in the country. So we kind of just did whatever it took to get as much feedback as possible. And then in the two months before the website uh, relaunched, we did, oh, I don't know, like 50 or 60 remote usability testing sessions. And we really honed in on, is this working for you, right? Where do you find the veterans crisis line if you're feeling down or you're feeling like you're in crisis or you need to point someone to help you? And so we got really, really specific about um, making sure that certain UI elements and components on the website were working as best as possible for veterans. Wow. I have, a, I have a bunch of questions about the research, but the first thing that pops up to mind is like, are you working under some kind of specific budget? You know, like I think most people in their, their, their design jobs or UX jobs think like 60 usability tests, like, oh my God, that'd be, that'd be wonderful, you know, but we yeah. never have the time. We never have the budget. Like, how did you, how did you get the space for that? Well, I mean, we're working within the boundaries of the contracts that we have in place at VA for this digital modernization work and, and for the, the VA.gov research and design work. So we already had the contracts in place. And in fact, we just renewed a contract with a research recruiting firm. So that helps with like the actual labor hours because recruiting is, is time intensive, as you alluded to. Um, but yeah, we had the resources in place. And the, the great things about the digital service is we, as part of the executive branch, we kind of sit above the agencies. And so we can just move really fast, huh. right? We, we don't, we, we try not to like break too many things and we try to be as respectful as possible with our agency partners. But if there are agency partners who are saying, no, we can't do that. Or they're saying like, no, we've never done that. We do have to use our best judgment and go, no, it's okay. It's okay to email 
this group of veterans, they've opted in on Facebook to do a digital card sort for us. Yeah. And that's one of the unique things that, that we're able to do at the digital service. <laughs> wow. It's kind yeah. of boundaries. So you are essentially uh, a vendor, like a design agency coming in. Is that, you know, or is it not? I don't know. I don't know. You know, I, I've used the word kind of internal consultant before, but some of my digital service colleagues have scoffed at that. <laughs> so I, I actually don't know what to call us other than we, we are, we're, we're doing public service tours of duty. And so we just have to move fast, right? We're not, uh, we're not career civil servants. Like this isn't a marathon. It's more like a sprint. Um, and with the healthcare.gov being kind of our Genesis story, like that original model is what we called like our firefighting model. Like the government had a handful of like really big tech and design fires going on and we just deploy our people and, and we move really, really fast. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know if, if, if it would be like internal consulting or, mm. or what, but it's not an agency model. The, the, the agencies are not coming to us and saying like, we need you to design a new product for this right. new policy right. that Congress has, yeah. has yeah. Um, implemented. And I would imagine the emphasis is even more on, kind of empowering the people at the agencies than it is to just come in and do a bunch of good work, you know? Yeah. Like, that's actually one of our hardest jobs. Yeah. Um, now I mentioned bringing people along for the journey just helps with morale. So it's not that the digital service is dictating that we're doing this thing. It's under helping them understand why we're doing it and then teaching them along the way. What does it mean to do human centered design? What does it mean to be a product manager versus a program manager what does it mean to ship new code on a daily basis using a two-week sprint development schedule? <laughs> yeah. um, and it's hard. We take that for granted, those in the industry who who all of these concepts and frameworks are second nature. These are all brand new to the government. So so I, I'd say teaching and bringing them along for the journey is a challenge. And the other is the empowerment. So we can't fix you know years and years of disempowered career civil servants who are in different pockets of offices or programs within the agency, that's a really hard thing to do. Um, cause that type of change is more organizational change and, and even, even reforms to federal hiring, um, and employment, mm. you know, we need global change to happen to really kind of fix that. This is, this is always something very interesting to me. I did, uh, consulting, five or six years uh in kind of in the middle of my career and i i found it kind of frustrating to be perfectly honest uh in that uh so often that the stuff we would deliver would either uh something would happen before it actually shipped because we could never sort of sell in uh engagements long enough to be there from the strategic phase through the building to the launching so we would you know end up doing some really great strategy work and then see the results when they're launched and frankly be disappointed or we would uh, uh, often struggle with with the teams themselves taking the the work and 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 frankly not having the the capability to start working that way. So that when when I hear you talking about that sort of transformation that's happening, it seems like it it is really like getting in there and working. They, the VA must have had hundreds of web people, right? Like doing digital stuff, getting them in there to say like, here's some new. 
here's a new set of tools for you so that you can continue to do this work after we go off to go do something else. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. We, you know, VA has, I think 2000 web content managers (laughs) just on VA.gov. There's still legacy websites out there that we are working to integrate into VA.gov. And I always assume best intent, right? So it's so easy to come in as a product and design expert and go, why would they build their information architecture that way? It makes no sense. But, you know, these are layers of decision, individual decisions that that people with good intent uh, make and implement. And then suddenly you have this, you know, kind of ecosystem that's really confusing for users. So so I always assume best intent. And one of the things that kind of keeps me up at night is how do we make people feel like they helped produce the work? Uh Right. So even if we were internal consultants where they were actually paying us money inside of the Veterans Affairs Agency to do something, how do we make them feel like it's their product? Um, And that's where I think governance models and especially content governance really come into play. Like we've delivered things, but what we do is we reinforce over and over that these are not our products. These are not the VA.gov team's products. These are your products. These are your benefits. These are your services that that you offer your customers um, and framing things in that way, I think, can have kind of a soft empowerment type effect. Mm, yeah, yeah, makes sense. On how they view the, on how they view the work. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, what we're focused on now in the second phase, in addition to just launching new content and new products, is uh, what you refer to, which is creating a toolkit to empower um, people inside the VA.gov ecosystem, career civil servants, to keep a high level user experience. So we're working on. Re, not redesigning, refactoring our front-end design system so that can be reused by um, different development teams. We're creating a brand new first-ever VA.gov content style guide so that all web content managers are operating off of the same editorial standards so that we're using the same word choice and the same voice and tone across the VA.gov experience. And we're also doing a lot of back-end work with re-architecting our platform so that um, we can equip and empower teams to build off of it. And you've put a lot of this stuff online. I'm just like clicking through your va.gov slash playbook website. I'll put a link to that down in the show notes so other people can see it. But sure. um, cool. Yeah. And we're, we're, yeah, we're moving fast. Uh, one of my colleagues, uh, she, I think she said it best. She used this metaphor. She said, we are building the airplane while we're flying it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I couldn't agree more. It's, an, it's a little uncomfortable at times, but it's certainly exciting. All right. I'll, I'll hold on to that thought. I'll ask you more about that in a second. I got to tell you, we've got one more sponsor, and that's our friends over at Abstract. Uh, they make design workflow management software for modern design teams. Uh, speaking of, uh, you know, kind of contemporary tools and, and getting organizations over to that, we have talked a lot on this podcast about how tech companies are realizing that design is a competitive advantage now in a way that they never had before, but that their workflows and the tools they use to make their products just have never considered how designers really work. So if you're a designer, you know how frustrating it is to search and export files from one tool uh, to another, especially when you're trying to like gather all the feedback from a bunch of different stakeholders, uh, and you're never totally sure what changes have been made and what's been approved, and that's really the sweet spot for Abstract. So the company was founded uh, by a friend of mine, Josh Brewer, who was on this show a few months back. Uh, he was formerly the principal designer over at Twitter, uh, and he took on this project of uh, kind of figuring out what the... Uh, how to make the GitHub for designers, right? So it's like your team's version-controlled source of truth, but for all the design work, 
right? So instead of like the code that's being written, it is literally like taking sketch files and showing how change has happened over time so that everybody can be on the same page uh, and, and know that um, the workflow for all the design that's happening, it's in a single unified place. Um, all the stakeholders can collaborate with the developers and the designers and everybody can keep track of the work and keep moving forward. Uh, they've been doing this for two years. They have 100,000 users now. And that's 100,000 people who are spending less time searching for files and tracking down feedback and more time focused on innovation and collaboration. Companies like Intuit, Zappos, MailChimp, they're all using Abstract now. You can Here's some of the things you can do. You can version your design files. You can use it to present your work, request reviews, collect feedback, give developers direct access to all of the specs uh, and do it all from one place. There's a 30-day trial if you head over to goabstract.com. Uh, and they're doing a little contest. It's pretty cool. If you tweet at goabstract and at presentable FM with the phrase, improve my design workflow, you'll be entered in a chance to win $500 credit for their business plan. So uh, look at the show notes. We have details there. Uh, the URL, once more, goabstract.com, 30-day trial. Thanks to our friends at Abstract for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right. So what were we talking about? Oh, yeah. You, uh, so you had taken all of this great work that you have been doing. Uh, you've been putting it online, kind of, kind of showing your work in public. That's got to be – that seems pretty new for an internal agency in the U.S. government. Yeah. I mean, so are you talking VDAC of the public-facing website or kind of the tools and being transparent with uh, um, those I tools? I was talking about the public-facing website, but you can talk about both of it. Both of these things are pretty transformative. Yeah, absolutely. So, so like I mentioned, I think at the top of the program, there are about 20 million living veterans um, in the U.S. and about 10 million are engaged in the VA system getting benefits um, each year. So we have about 10 million unique visitors that visit VA's web properties each month, which is pretty remarkable. So yeah. the, scale, the scale is pretty exciting. I got to say, the VA.gov homepage, um, we have this, we call it zone one. It's our top tasks. Those 20 links um, represent about 80% of all the reasons that veterans and their family members are coming to a VA website, uh -huh. uh, which is pretty remarkable. So just providing one-click access to the top requested content and tools would have been transformative. But in addition to that, we created a brand new information architecture. We have this global content model called Hub and & Spoke. And I uh -huh. think the most exciting thing to come out of the VA.gov design work the most exciting thing are our nine new benefit hubs. So in the very first um, uh, menu tab on the website, those nine hubs map to our users' mental models huh. for VA's benefits and services. And they don't necessarily map to the way that the business lines are organized. And that's transformative because we are able to build a product in a way that meets our users' needs and their mental models for benefits and services. And what it does is, again, it shifts the burden onto the business to maybe streamline the way the business is organized. Mm. Like maybe under education and training, there shouldn't be five business lines. Maybe there should be one business line mm. called yeah. education and training. Yeah, so that, that's VA.gov. And, and, and the other like amazing thing about VA.gov is it's like Facebook. Like there's a sign-in button on the top right corner and you <laughs> sign in. 
And the Veterans Affairs Agency repeats back to you, the user, the customer, what they know about you. And the government's never done that before. The government's never given you the confidence that, yes, they received your application or your form. And yes, we have your current mailing address on file. You know, we take these things for granted when we sign into our online banking uh, banking or insurance, but that's huge. And every time we see a new veteran create an account and sign in, and they, they just like, they kind of sit back in awe. They're like, really? Veterans Affairs, the government is giving me a status on my, on my uh, appeal. <laughs> well, this is, so this is an important point, right? And I see this in even enterprise software and things like that, which is that the people who use software are, have a set of expectations that is being developed continuously over time from the, the services that they use every day. So when you say that, like, it's a big deal for the vet, for a government website to have a sign in button in the upper right hand corner that looks like the Facebook sign in, uh, that, that is a big deal because that is exactly what people expect, right? You, you come to a product, you come to a product and that's where the button is supposed to be. I push on the button. I'm doing it right now. I push on the button. Oh, you know what? It looks like a single sign on website. Like I can sign on with this or this or this. And authentication. <laughs> it is right. And, um, so one of my mantras, Jeff, with my, my, that I always say to my digital service colleagues is government's job is to bring the government agencies and their public facing digital services up to private sector standards. Yeah. Our job is not to redesign the wheel, nor is our job to design the new and innovative. It's simply to meet our users' expectations for web patterns and digital product patterns that the private sector has defined. And so I always go back to like Google and Facebook, like what are people using on a daily basis? It's like Google and Facebook and YouTube and Snapchat and Instagram. And those, those technology companies have, you know, multi-million dollar, sometimes billion dollar research and development budgets. And so when the government sits down and says, we're going to create a website and we're going to put the sign in button on the top left, it fundamentally doesn't meet the expectation that the private sector has set for a website. And so we don't need to be doing that. We need to just be raising the federal government's digital products and services up to private sector standards. Well, I'll tell you what, I I would take you even a, a step further than that, which is once you have done that, once you have like figured out what are all the conventions in the world today that everybody is is expecting from us, and you nail them, which it appears like you have been doing, right? You've been testing and 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 seeing the delight when, when even when people are signing in. But once you've done all that, you might be surprised that you will find from time to time little bits of innovation that come up specific to this audience that you heard from your research, right? So that, but but that's the thing is that everybody wants to start with that. Like, how can, oh, let's do something amazing. Everybody does this single sign-on thing. Like, we don't need to do and that. wants their own unique special snowflake, too. You know, there's right. no different government. And one of the great things that has also come out of the digital service with our partners at a sister organization called 18F, and now oh, yeah. it's in the General Services Administration, is the U.S. web design system. It's our front-end design system. And, again, like, we don't, we don't do interaction-heavy design in the government for a lot of reasons. One is that it's more time and money and doesn't add a ton of new value. And the other reason is like we have accessibility um, policies and regulations that we have to meet in the government. They're called 508 compliance. And so we have to make sure that all Americans and all users of government websites can use our products, whether they um, are blind or deaf or whatever, or they have mobility issues. Um, And that can sometimes limit the interface. 
what I love about it is it's so simple, you know, and this is our design system is, is a bit similar to um, gov.uk's design system. Mm-hmm. It really just focuses on the basics of, of mobile responsive web experiences. And one of the big things that came out of our usability testing last year is blue equals interactive. <laughs> like if, if it's not interactive, then don't use the color blue. And so we were really thoughtful around um, making sure that all of our links and all of our buttons were blue. And then if there were no indications of interactivity, if the user is, say, colorblind, we made sure to add in text decorations or really thoughtful, basic interactions to indicate, you know, with the hover state or something that this is interactive. And that's the type of thing that I think the government is so uniquely positioned through user experience research and design to kind of set as its own standard for web accessibility and products in a way that the private sector maybe is is not as focused on that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's that's cool. Yep. I'm looking at it here, designsystem.digital.gov. It's all online as well. And I clicked on like download code and you go to GitHub. You're blowing my mind. We're using GitHub. I know. I know. <laughs> we're very lucky. You know, we're using GitHub and Slack and collaboration tools in the government are a real challenge. You know, our our agency partners, they don't have Slack. You know, so right. I have to we have to use email or phone and it's, it's very kind of time consuming. So hopefully we'll, we'll get more and more people onto these modern collaboration um, platforms. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the, the last thing I wanted to ask you about uh, is this idea of doing kind of the tour of duty at the digital service, right? Where, where you're getting people from private sector uh, experts in the field and saying like, just come for a while, contribute what you can and then go back to work. Is that sort of what? Yeah, that, that's our that's our model. We have a very talented recruiting team, and they travel across the country at different uh, tech and design uh, conferences, and they tell the USDS story, and they tell the Genesis story at healthcare.gov, and they tell a story about having an impact and doing meaningful work. And we all initially sign, I think, two-year um, contracts. Again, we're not career civil servants, and we all have the option of renewing for another two years. So we're capped out at four years. But I got to say... People move to D.C. from across the country a lot, coming from California, from Silicon Valley, and they get hooked because they go, oh, my gosh, I love coming into work every day and doing something that is so meaningful. Um, and, and and again, like there are challenges with that, right? We don't have KPIs or market driven um, things that, that that are putting pressure on us. We have other things putting pressure on us that are unique to the government. But it's really great to go home at the end of the day and go, oh, my gosh. I helped launch this product that's going to make it that much easier for a veteran to get a benefit that he or she has earned. Yeah. And that's really good feeling. So we have people who stay in the D.C. area actually after they they finish their tour of duty and they kind of stay in the civic tech space. We have an amazing field of young contracting firms that are very mission driven. They're attracting a lot of talent from this nascent but maturing civic tech space and everyone's kind of working toward making um, government services better. That's cool. That's cool. So I will uh, put some links in the show notes to where people can find out more uh, at the usds.gov website um, about, you know, finding a way, finding a way to make a little bit of a difference. I, you know, I think we can, we kind of set aside the partisan, like you said at the beginning and say that, Things feel a little weird right now in the world, you know? And I think a lot of people's frustration comes from the fact that it doesn't feel like our government is working and that perhaps the the way through this is to get in and fix a little bit of it. I like that idea. That's right. 
and and get firsthand experience. You know, I uh, one of my previous projects when I was a private consultant was at U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, and traveling across the country to actually interview immigrants trying to become Americans and sit in on um, their immigration journey was was pretty remarkable because it's it's firsthand, right? It's unmediated. It's not parsed through by a journalist or by um, yeah. some pundit. And say, I can say the same thing with veterans. It's really remarkable traveling across to these different um, vet centers and VA medical facilities and hospitals and meeting our users where they are, which is which is sometimes not in a great place in their life. They're struggling with with health issues or they're struggling with just getting a, a monthly um, disability compensation check on time. Um, it's really humbling. So we want people who want to be doing meaningful work and who want to be part of the solution, which is essentially rebuilding a lot of our public institutions, both in the private sector and in the public sector. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's leave it at that. That's, uh, that's inspiring. Uh, the work looks great. I really appreciate you taking us through uh, some of the challenges and some of the opportunities that you found while you were there. Um, Andy, thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. This was terrific. And that's another episode of Presentable. Hey, got any questions? You can email us at hello at presentable.fm or get in touch via Twitter by following Presentable FM. We hope you've really enjoyed the show. And if you do, could you take a moment and give us a rating on iTunes? It really helps and we'd really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jeffrey Dean, and this was Presentable. Presentable.